G'day everybody, Matt Ellis back for a brand new series of the Cricket Library podcast and to kick things off today, we've got one of the finest young talents in Australian women's domestic cricket, Talia Wilson. But it's a century for the second time this season for Talia Wilson, a brilliant innings. Talia is a young player on the rise and today we hear her story of how she got to where she is today her hopes for the future, dealing with disappointments and riding the highs of successes like winning the WBBL and scoring her maiden WNCL 100. Talia also shares how much hockey has helped her with her cricket and of course, we will not let her get away without telling us who her dream net session would be. It's time to sit back, relax and enjoy the Talia Wilson story on the Cricket library podcast it's a very warm welcome to the cricket library podcast talia wilson thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me matt it's always good to hear about cricketing journeys and and you're still only very young so hopefully there's a few more chapters of the talia wilson story to be told but talia can you give our listeners a bit of a background into the origins of your passion for the game yeah, for sure. So I have an older brother. He's three years older than me. Uh, so we started playing in the backyard, actually under our pergola. Uh, so I used to be able to bat first. He'd always let me bat first, but I wouldn't bat for very long because um, he'd always get me out. So then I'd end up bowling for a while. So um, you know that's where it all started. And then when he was about 10 years old, he started playing junior boys cricket uh, and dad was the coach. So I'd go along to his games and watch him play and at the end of the day dad would say oh can you go around and pick up all the cones on the boundary please so I'd do the whole lap around the oval so I got to a point where I was like I think actually I want to get out there and actually play so I don't have to pick up the cones all the time oh that's so cool (laughs) (laughs) trying to to, uh, get a bit more into the game and and get hands-on how did you transition into junior club cricket were there many girls playing junior club cricket when you were growing up uh, I was lucky in my first probably three years of under 10s to under 12s, uh, there was another girl who played in my side with me. Uh, but after that, I was pretty much the only girl. But I was really lucky uh, at my local club, Albion Park. They um, they had an under 10s team when I first started that I knew most of the boys in from sort of outside of cricket anyway. Uh, so from under 10s all the way nearly up to under 16s, I played with a very uh, similar group of boys so yeah it probably made it a bit easy for me and they were always welcoming and what I did. Yeah that's awesome now you mentioned you bowled to your brother uh, under the pergola when when did you figure out wicket keeping was a skill that you could be good at? In under 10s uh, we'd rotate around the field so everyone would get a bowl and then you just rotate positions until you'd come back and have another bowl so I think uh, in that first season of under 10s, I was like, oh, actually, this is quite fun. Like, you get to see the ball a lot. And in under 10s, you obviously get the ball a little bit more than in any other grade. Uh, so in under 10s, finished doing the rotations, went into under 12s, and we started to do a week about with um, who would want to keep. So in under 12s, I decided that I wanted to keep a little bit more than I wanted to bowl. So I'd keep for most of the game and then at the end finish off and have another bowl. But, yeah, I think from there I just started to fall in love with it. And is it a skill that you found came pretty natural to you or is it something that it was just because you got to see the ball more often than not that you 
you just wanted to do more of it? I think it was a little bit of both. So when I first started to wicket keep, I didn't realise that my dad was also a wicket keeper going up. Uh, so once he started to realise that I wanted to get into keeping, we spent a bit of time on it, just learning a few of the basics about keeping. So I think from there, it just all started to spiral. And oh yeah, I was pretty lucky that the boys wanted me to keep as well and they thought that I was doing a good job. So yeah, it was only going from strength to strength after that, knowing that I had a keeping position in the side. And as far as representative opportunities are concerned, growing up, did you play much representative cricket as well as the club stuff? But tell, tell us a little bit about your progression uh, from, from club cricket in, into representative. Yeah, I probably didn't start rep cricket till a little bit later than most girls these days. So I was probably uh, around 12 um, and I joined uh, Mel Harrison, who used to be involved um, with Cricket New South Wales, she um, saw me play her brother in a game in under-12s and she said to me, oh, we've got a Cricket New South Wales Academy. I'd like you to register and go to the trials. So uh, I have her to thank for probably where I am today, actually. Uh, but, yeah, for me, I went to, along to the trial and Steve Davies was the head coach um, of the academy and I got selected in my first year and from there I pretty much haven't looked back. But, yeah, I didn't really have too much involvement with junior boys rep cricket. I just was happy to play club cricket with the boys. Uh, but, yeah, from there, being able to go through the program um, and the pathway ending up where I am now, which is pretty cool to look back on. Yeah, well, what is your biggest sort of learning experiences when you look back at that time in, in academy squads and junior representative teams? What's, what's your biggest takeaway from that? Or I guess your biggest piece of advice to young girls that are, Learning the games, learning the game themselves at the moment. What 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 would you give them as a takeaway? Yeah, I suppose I probably learn a little bit more from rep, rep hockey um, in this space. So um, I got picked in a rep school side for hockey one year, and then I didn't get picked the next year. So that's obviously a bit disappointing. Um, so I took this advice into my cricket as well, just not taking my spot for granted each year, um, making sure that I tried well, gave it my best shot, and then if I didn't get selected. It's not the be-all or end-all. Um, just go back again, keep improving on different areas, um, and the next year you'll be better off for it. And if they can see the progress, then you're going to be an even better shot of getting back into the side. Yeah, yeah, some great great advice there because sport's a funny beast, <laughs> isn't it? You, you can have yeah. times when you think you're doing really well and there's other people that are slightly better. And, uh, yeah, there, there are definitely swings and roundabouts. And, uh, you you actually get the chance to play for Australia in the under nineteens. Um, any reflections on? Uh, did you go to South Africa for that? Was that the South Africa tour? Yeah, it was. We went uh, to South Africa and we played the under nineteen South African and uh, English teams as well. So uh, it was a pretty surreal experience over there. I think I remember more about the memories off the field than on the field. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was sort of the first time in a while that we'd had an under-19s tournament on. Um, yeah, it'd been 10 to 15 years before that. So it was pretty cool to be back involved with a, to- a tournament that ended up leading to this year's under-19s tournament that just was played earlier in the year. So uh, yeah, to think about that now that we sort of set the platform again for the under-19s to become an important part of progress. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and are there any players you, you think back now and you go, oh, yeah, I knew they were going to kick on? Like are there some examples of players that you either played against or played with that you at the time you just thought this person's a superstar? 
Yeah, I think from um, I'll start with the the opposing team. So for South Africa, um, I did play against uh, Tasman Brits, who's currently playing in the South African squad, and she played um, pretty well in the semi and the final, well against England and Australia for the World Cup. So to see her in action firsthand, um, you knew that she could hit a decent ball. So to see that um, come out now, it's pretty cool. And I think from a, an England point of view, we played against Sophia Dunkley, and to see how much she's crushing it for the English side, opening the batting. She probably batted down the order a little bit more when we were away. But, yeah, it's pretty cool to think that they're already there doing their thing. And I think for, for the Aussie side uh, to see uh, Georgia Wareham um, and Tave Lemick when she can get on the park, to be able to play alongside them in the next year after that they kept picked for Australia. Um, yeah, they, they played their role really well over in South Africa. Uh, so, yeah, seeing them put on the green and gold for the first time wasn't a surprise. And a good learning curve for you getting to keep to, say, a Georgia Wareham uh, quality spin bowler uh, and then also quality pace bowler in Vlaminek hitting the gloves really hard. Was that was that a nice experience for you to, to get a taste of that next level? Yeah, I probably kept to them more um, in the lead up to the tournament. So when we went across there, um, we had two other keepers in the team. So I was pretty much known as a top order bat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but even just facing them in the net, they could land the ball more often than not uh, than the other bowlers in the team. Their execution was top-notch. So, yeah, I think, yeah, you could definitely tell that they were a step ahead. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you come back come back after that and, and not long after you, you're peeling off runs in Sydney Premier Cricket and you're getting pretty close to breaking into the breakers set up. Uh, how much did it mean to you to, to go to that next level and, and play your first senior women's cricket for New South Wales? Yeah, I think coming back from South Africa, there are a lot of learnings. Uh, being an international standard, uh, it was a lot tougher than yeah, grade cricket and underage nationals that I had played in. Uh, so that probably gave me a really nice lead in to playing for the Breakers uh, and being in the squad for the first year. Definitely... You're a bit starstruck when you've got Elise Perry and Elisa Healy training alongside you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, for me, I think that experience was perfect because I was lucky enough to be a rookie for the Sixers uh, the year before I was contracted for WNCL for the Breakers. So I ended up spending some time around that group. And I think that only helped me as well heading into the Breakers, knowing sort of what standards are set, what program I'll be doing. Um, and they were really open with me. And if I had any questions, I'm more than happy to help me out. So, I think that lead-in being at the Sixers for a year before I went into the break has helped. Yeah, and, and finally making your debut. Um, what what was the messaging there? How how, how much of a lead-in did you have? Uh, talk us through uh, playing for New South Wales for the first time. Yeah, it was pretty special. Uh, all of our Australian girls were out, so there was going to be plenty of spots open. Uh, so I probably knew the start of that season that I was going to be in with a fair chance um, and then about two weeks out from the game that I was meant to play in um, I was told that I was going to make my debut so I had plenty of time to think about it uh, I knew I'd scored runs in Sydney Premier Cricket so I was pretty happy with how I was there and I had the backing of all the girls in the team and when you're debuting uh, and you're also opening the batting I suppose you probably feel a little bit more pressure uh, because you're at the top of the order you've got a job to do uh, the first game did quite go to plan uh, but you know that happens Yep. Uh, but yeah, it was just a nice experience to be out there and realise that I did earn my spot uh, and I wasn't yeah just sort of put in there as, oh, we need extra players. It was, this is your role. 
you're you're set to do this. So just go out there and do it. And, and did having someone like Lisa Griffith to open the batting with, um, what what was she like to to bat with at the top of the order? And and did it help having someone like her to kind of calm the nerves and make you feel at home? Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, Lisa and I batted a, a lot in the pre seasons before that in practice matches in trips away so and we got on really well off the field so for her to be out there with me I think that just helped me relax a little bit more she knew my game really as well as I did so she knew what to say to me at different points uh so yeah I think it definitely helped having her out there and playing 50 over cricket uh, you'd played had you just um prior to that played a bit of cricket uh some t20 stuff over in New Zealand yeah, I did. Uh, so, yeah, around that time, I was lucky enough to go play for Auckland Hearts uh, in their Super Smash competition. Uh, so, yeah, I'd been over there, played a few games. Um, this was uh, when the Australian girls were still currently in the squad uh, for the breakers and they were playing the first round of WNCL. So I thought, what a great opportunity to go over there and be able to play some cricket, learn a bit more from people from another uh, country and then come back and implement that when I did debut. And actually, Lisa was over there with me, and she was playing for a different team. So, yeah, I was pretty lucky that I had someone over there that I knew. Um, but yeah, it was an awesome experience. I wasn't there for long. I was there for about a week. But, yeah, it's something that I'll want to do again, um, and I'll definitely never forget going over. And and shifting from 20 over to 50 over cricket, how, how do you mentally kind of switch from T20 mode to 50 over mode? It can be a tough one sometimes, especially now you play 50 over cricket, you go into big dash and then you go back to WNCL. So for me, I, I quite like playing 50 over cricket. There's more time in the game. It's more about discipline. Um, yeah, you've got a bit more time to sort of construct your innings and think about how you're going to go about it. Whereas T20, sometimes it can be quite quick and it's over before you know it. Uh, so I think for me, yeah, I prefer the transition from T20 into 50 over. Uh but I reckon not much changes from a technique point of view or sort of an intent point of view, but in 50 over, you might just early on be a bit more watchful um, and then play your shots a little bit later, whereas T20, you're probably going from early ball one. Yeah, yep, yep. And uh, 2020 cricket, uh, it's no secret to Cricket Library podcast listeners that I'm very biased towards the Sydney Thunder, so I'm I'm really I'm really really excited that I get to talk to someone who experienced victory at the Thunder. Um, I might just start with the the start of that WBBL 06 campaign. It was a really interesting time in the world. There's a pandemic. Um, players are in a bubble. Uh, I I think this I think. Uh, a handful of the first 10 of those games of that season were washed out as well. So there was not a lot of continuity to start that season. Uh, gee, it finished well for the Thunder. So let, let's start on your reflections on playing during the pandemic and being in the bubble. Yeah, it was an interesting time to say the least. Uh, actually, we so we had our bubble in uh, Sydney Olympic Park where all eight teams stayed in the one area for six to seven weeks. Uh, so when I entered the hub, it was actually my 21st birthday. Oh. Uh, so so I yeah, so I walked in and um, they actually had it on a little board, on a little TV screen that said that it was happy birthday and every day that it was someone's birthday, their name would be on there. But first day in, my name's on the board. And I had that many people walk past me wishing me a happy birthday. It was just so overwhelming with how many people you saw, uh, 
so yeah, when I first got to my room and sort of unpacked and I sat there, I was like, wow, like this could be quite full on if you don't sort of prepare the right way for it. But luckily enough for us, um, for Thunder, we had two levels um, and one of the hallways in one of the levels, we sort of made it our own little common room and we had puzzles, um, we had bean bags and all the rest um, along there. So we were lucky enough that we could chill together up there because every time you'd go down for breakfast, lunch or dinner, you'd see so many people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think the first two weeks of being in the hub, it was about adjusting to, all right, I know I need my space, but I've also got so much support around me. So how can I get the best out of me? from a personal point of view, um, but then also for the team. So as you said, the first probably handful of games got washed out. Uh, so that probably made it a little bit more difficult. You had no crowds coming to watch either at that point. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty much you're relying on your teammates while you're in the hub. Um, and you could only really talk to family and friends over the phone because we weren't really allowed to leave where we were. Yeah, wow. And what was it like not being able to see your family and non-cricket friends for your birthday as well, a, a significant birthday? Yeah, I was pretty lucky that morning of um, I got to see mum and dad because they dropped me up there um, to go into the hub. But, yeah, other than that, it was it was a little bit strange because, uh, I, yeah, I wasn't really sure what to think about it because I knew that I was going into the hub for so long. It was my 21st birthday, but at the same time I'd see my cricket friends when I got in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of um, happy and sad at the same time. Uh, but, yeah, it was definitely definitely an interesting time um, to think now that we were in a hub for six to seven weeks with the same girls for the whole time. <laughs> it, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And let, let's talk on field. Uh, the Thunder make it into the finals. Uh, a nail-biting semi against the Brisbane Heat. What, what were your... What were your feelings during that game? Because that one could have gone either way. Still to this day, when I talk about it with any of the Thunder girls, we're like, how did we win it? Uh, we just had some fight that got us over the line. Halfway, probably, yeah, halfway through that innings, we were like, we're pretty much dusted here. We're just going to try and take the game as deep as possible. And luckily enough that our bowlers executed really well uh, and we did get the win. But after that game, yeah, all we could say to each other was, what just happened, but we had no right in winning that game, but we found a way. Uh, so that was pretty special. And, and, and did it have a sense of sort of destiny about it? Like you, when, when you win a game like that against the Brisbane Heat uh, in the circumstances that you did where, you know, you're saying, well, we just want to take the game as deep as we can and hope for the best kind of thing, to, to win in that situation, does that sort of give you the belief that you could – you could win any any game? Oh, 100%. I think going into that competition, we were definitely the underdogs. The year before that, we finished near bottom of the table. Uh, so, yeah, for us, after winning that game, I think that definitely gave us a belief that no matter what the situation is in the game, no matter who we're playing, we're always a chance of winning it. So I think that probably gave us good confidence heading into the final. And that week between the end of the round games and the final uh, team started to slowly but surely leave the hub depending on when they were knocked out. So after we won the semi, we ended up only being with the stars in the hub. Wow. Uh, so by that, yeah, <laughs> by that stage, the only team that you could see was the team that you're playing against in a couple of days time. <laughs> how did that go? Uh, how was, how was the, how was the interaction? Was it pretty, pretty cordial? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was hard because, 
most of the time like before that in the hub because obviously we train a lot with the sixes you'd see them girls and you could catch up with them but being your opposing team that you're playing in a couple of days time in a big final uh we pretty much just stuck to ourselves because no one really it just felt awkward because <laughs> you're in each other's space we've been in each other's space for the last six weeks so yeah it was it was it was a weird feeling but yeah we were lucky enough to to get on top yeah and 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 less stress in the final it was more of a more of a uh, a straightforward victory I think it surprised us as to how well we bowled and the total we bowled them out for we did drop many opportunities so we <laughs> probably could have bowled them out probably could have bowled them out earlier uh, but I remember running onto the field uh, when we were fielding first in the final and I just had the biggest smile on my face the atmosphere was unreal and I just turned to Heather Knight she was running out next to me and I was like how cool is this like we've got a full North Sydney Oval we've had hardly any crowd for the whole year so I think for us going into that final there was no pressure on us we've come from fourth position we snuck in there actually um yeah so just running out there is like we've got nothing to lose here just enjoy every moment and I think that's probably what got us over the line we just enjoyed it so much and I think from the stars point of view they probably felt the pressure of being the top team of the tournament coming up against underdogs. And you're involved in the big wicket of Meg. <laughs> how, how fast was Ismail bowling that day? Yeah, um, Shab, she was on fire that day. She just executed. She's a big game player and I think she showed that in that game. She just executed time after time and put the pressure on both um, Meg and Elise Villani and was lucky enough to get the wicket of Meg. But I think her pressure bowling to Villani first up is what made uh, her wicket fall at the other end. So, yeah, it was just awesome to see. Um, she's one of the fastest bowlers in the world. To, so to be able to keep to her for that whole season, yeah, it was it was pretty cool thinking that you've got an international bowler that you're keeping to. Yeah, and, and the group itself, uh, a very happy group to be able to survive all that time in the hub together. And from the outside looking in, it looked like everyone was having a really good time and enjoying their cricket. Yeah, it was. And I, as I said, we had our own little common area um, on one of our levels. And I think that's probably what helped us get through. Sometimes it can get a bit overwhelming being in the same area as everyone else. Uh, so, yeah, we definitely helped each other out. If anyone needed anything, we're always there. So us sticking together probably got us through to the end. And being able to celebrate after the game was a little bit strange because we could see family in that from the sidelines, but obviously you couldn't go too close to them. Mm. <laughs> Um, so then we, yeah, we celebrated at North Sydney for a little bit. Then when we went back to the hub, cause we had to stay in there for that night, that was how it, how it went. So we were in the hub pretty much on our own. The stars were in there somewhere, but we didn't really see them. Uh, yeah, we pretty much had the whole place to ourselves and it was probably a bit different cause normally after you'd win a final or something, you'd go out and there'd be plenty of people about, but yeah, it was just us soaking it all in together with the people that got you through the whole seven weeks that you're in the hub. Yeah, memories, memories that'll last forever. Oh, 100%. <laughs> now, now, outside of cricket, you, you mentioned earlier uh, about learning experiences from playing high-level hockey and, and, and that kind of thing. It, you recently uh, played hockey in the off-season that led up to a very productive season for you in the WNCL in the season just gone. Tell us a little bit about your love of hockey and... Um, how that's helped you with your cricket? Yeah, ever since I could walk, I definitely had a hockey stick in my hand. Mum and Dad both played hockey uh, 
for as long as I can remember. So, yeah, when I was little, I'd always go to hockey and you'd find all little friends there and you'd grow up with them. So for me, playing hockey was a no-brainer. I played soccer for a few years before I started hockey because with a hockey stick, it can be a little bit dangerous for youngsters. <laughs> uh, yeah, so when I started playing under 11s, I just never really looked back. It's just such a good sport for social socialness. You, you've always got people there that you don't see all the time. You only see them on the weekend. And then I suppose from a physical point of view, it's such a demanding game physically. You stop starting the whole time. You're running pretty much for the whole time that you're on the field. Uh, so from a fitness point of view, I find it really beneficial. And then I suppose hand-eye coordination, It's you've got a similar swing pattern, um, cricket and hockey. So I'm being able to transfer a little bit of my hockey game into my cricket game as well. And, and from a mindset point of view, is it nice to switch off from cricket in the off-season? Yeah, definitely. For about five years uh, when I was first contracted uh, for breakers, I didn't play. Um, and I found the first few years of that really hard because that was my outlet. I'd have cricket in sort of the summer months and then Hockey was in the winter months, so not being able to play, uh, yeah, it was very difficult. Uh, but, yeah, then I asked last year uh, if there was a chance that I could do it again. And, yeah, Leah Poulton, our head of performance, thought that was a really good idea. Um, yeah, I was in a good position at the end of the season, so why not let me have a break from cricket? And, yeah, as you said, I think you can see the reward of being able to have something else outside of cricket uh, come through in this season. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you touched on it. You touched on um, your learning from disappointments in hockey of making a team one year, not making one the next. Um, more on a day to day kind of level as a professional athlete, how do you? What what sort of strategies do you have for dealing with disappointments? Because they will in, they inevitably inevitably come up in all walks of life, whether you're an athlete, whether you're just an everyday citizen. Um, people face adversity and setbacks. What, what what keeps you going and keeps you motivated when things get hard? I think the main one for me that I've learned over time is just talking about it to someone. Um, normally it's family members, normally dad on our trip home from training or a game or something like that. Uh, so for me, chatting about it usually breaks down what's just happened and I can hear someone else's perspective about it. And sometimes it mightn't necessarily be as bad as what it is in my head. Uh, so, yeah, my favourite way to deal with any disappointment is to talk about it um, because then you know you've got a nice support network around you that can help you build and improve um, after whatever that disappointment was. And then I suppose from there, it's probably back to work as such. Uh, so to work on, if it's if for some reason it's um, I don't get selected for a team, um, working on something that will help me get picked for the next time uh, or if it's something off field or away from cricket, it's working on something that can help me develop even further as a person. Yeah, yeah, some really, really good advice. It sounds like you've got a good relationship with your dad. Yeah, very. Uh, yeah, I still live at home, so we travel about an hour and a half uh, every few days to go up to training. So um, some of the days he'll help me out and drive me up so I don't have to worry about driving. Uh, so, yeah, we have plenty of conversations. <laughs> And how's his shoulder hold up over the years? Would he have thrown one or two cricket balls to you in the last 20 years? Oh, yeah. He always throws to me, always. And, yeah, (laughs) with having an older brother too, he throws to him as well. Um, So, yeah, he's lucky enough that he has one of them sidearms that um, help his shoulder out a bit more these days. Uh, But, yeah, slowly but surely he's starting to wear down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully he's got a few more years left in him. Oh, I'm sure he does. Mum keeps saying to him, look, it's all right. 
Go to physio, you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, now a lot of those throwdowns um, uh, have helped with your success, and I just, I, I really wanted to highlight the season just gone for the breakers. You, you have your breakthrough maiden WNCL hundred, and then you back it up in the final game of the season uh, at picturesque Wade Park in Orange, I might add, uh, to, to to score your second. Um, uh, what what did it mean to you, or is, is is there anything anything that you did differently uh, that worked really well this year to to kickstart your uh, run of form? It was probably more a mindset. Um, being I, my technique hasn't changed a lot over the last little bit. Maybe minor changes here or there, but I think having the mindset of being a little bit more in tacking, um, I suppose that really helped me to probably find the boundary a little bit more and to get off strike because in previous years that has been sort of a work on for me. So, yeah, I think they're probably the major ones. Um, but when you've got the likes of when I'm first game, I walk out there and I'm hoping with Lisa Healy uh, since Rachel Haynes retired. Um, you walk out there with a smile on your face because you're thinking, wow, like she's a world-class player. And yeah. I get to that with her and we get to help each other out. So I had a lot of fun opening with her and then, when um, Elisa unfortunately got out, then I had Phoebe Litchfield come in, uh, <laughs> which is another world-class name. Uh, and then after that, um, Ash Gardner comes in. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it was pretty cool for me. I'm just like, sweet, I can just go about my game when I've got people like that out there with me. They know what to say. Uh, yeah, so I think that second game against WA, um, our, first, our last game before heading into Big Bash, being out about with Phoebe for so long, it was so much fun. Um, we broke a few partnership records along the way and they were say it over the speaker and Phoebe's like, oh, did you hear that one? Uh, so <laughs> I think, yeah, it was really fun. And I think the best thing was that we set our team up for a really big total. Uh, so to watch her get her ton, um, yeah, it was pretty special. And then I suppose once she got there, I was like, oh, actually, I'm 70 or 80 odd. So I'm pretty close too. <laughs> so having her out there with me, I probably didn't think too much about getting close to scoring my first ton. Uh, but then when Ash come out there um, and I was able to get over the line and score my ton, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool to, to have her out there with me in the last probably 18 months or so. She's been really influential in um, my progress batting-wise uh, from a confidence point of view. She knows what I can do and sometimes I just need that little reminder. Uh, so when we're out there batting, she'll just, you know, you know, you can play this shot. If it's there, do this. Uh, so little things like that. It was pretty cool to have her out there with me uh, when I scored my first ton. Yeah, amazing, amazing, and then a, a very consistent uh, form run of form for you in the in the WNCL, and to to bookend the season with another ton, um, you're only as good as your last game, Talia. <laughs> That's what they say. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was yeah, I was really happy um, that that was able to happen uh, after Big Bash. It was obviously a very tough Big Bash after Thunder this season. Uh, so to come back into breakers, it probably took me a little bit longer than I wanted to to get back into the form that I had before Big Bash started. Uh, so to be able to cap it off, um, yeah, with another hundred was pretty special. And to play at Orange um, in Phoebe's hometown, it was just amazing to see how many people we got there, how many young kids. I think that's probably the biggest crowd I've ever seen at a WNCL game, and the atmosphere was unreal. So if we can get some of our WNC games. WNCL games regional again. Yeah, it would be pretty amazing. 
Oh, the vibe down there was amazing. I was fortunate to be down there as well for both both of those games and to see the school kids coming in on the on the Friday and then it looked like um every single one of Phoebe's friends from high school came down on the on on the Sunday. It was packed in the grandstand there. So, yeah, really really great vibe and a, a really great way for the breakers to finish the season. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, to see how many kids were there and for us in the innings break, you'd have kids on the fence. Oh, can we have the autograph? And you'd be signing autographs till you're pretty much running back on the field for the second inning. So I think that makes it feel quite special. And that probably gave us the extra drive to get the two wins while we were there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, a good season this year. What what are your what are your hopes and aspirations? What what's Talia Wilson sort of writing down in a journal and trying to trying to bring to fruition uh, next season? Uh, I think from a cricketing point of view, um, we'll try and have a season better than this one, uh, which will be tough. But um, if I can, then I suppose that gets me to my future goals of wanting to make the Aussie team. Um, but before that, probably making an Australia A side um, and slowly progressing into the Aussie squad. So hopefully in the next few years or so, I can put my case forward for something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, before we go, this is the the hardest hitting question in podcasts around the world. Well, we're claiming <laughs> it anyway. Um, it certainly gets a, the, the most varied range of responses. Uh, a dream net session for Talia Wilson. If Talia Wilson could invite anyone to the nets, you could you could have anyone you want. Doesn't have to be cricket players. Um, they don't even have to be famous. Um, who who are you inviting to the nets and why? So I'm this one. My first one's a bit out there, um, but I'd invited to dinner, so I'd reinvited to the nets too. Um, is Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge? Um, wow. I've always had yeah. I've just Everything that she does, um, it's just always amazing. She's always such a positive role model for everyone. Um, and she's a royal and loves the sport. Um, and she does love hockey. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's, there's no better combo that she, yeah, she's a royal and loves the sport. So I think she'd have a good crack um, in a net session as well. So, yeah, it'd be cool to have her along. You got her uh, so earmarked, one. As, you've got her earmarked as a bowler or you reckon? What, what I feel you... like she's a bit of an all-rounder. Yeah, okay. Like, with with you know the hockey background, oh yeah, um, of course. She, yeah, she'd she'd go all right with the bat as well. Um, and like I just feel like she has that never say die attitude. So she'll have a crack at both skills no matter what. She'll probably even have a go at keeping as well. She'll just yeah, she'll just get in there. And you'd be able to teach her some good banter behind the, behind <laughs> the sticks as well. I reckon. Oh, I'm I'm sure she'd probably know some herself. <laughs> <laughs> she would have heard her fair share of things over the years. Yeah, 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 no doubt. Oh, who's number two? Um, number two, we're going um, more a sporting background, Benji Marshall. Um, You're a Tigers fan. Been my, yes, I am. Big West Tigers fan. Ever since I can remember, I've supported them. Um, oh. The last few seasons have been very sad, but I'm still living with the 2005 Premiership win. Yeah, very good, very good. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, he's been my favourite NRL player from when I first started supporting and following the NRL. Uh, so yeah, I definitely want him along and... Hopefully one day um, when we have our Thunder celeb match, we might be able to get him along and, and see what he can do. Yeah, Laura Partington, there's a little challenge for you. Uh, <laughs> get, get Benji on the books. Uh, <laughs> uh, and lastly, who's who's number three? I had to go with a cricketer because if I'm going for an session, I want some tips. And, and this fella, uh, 
was pretty successful in his time, A.B. de Villiers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Just I love watching him play. He had his own way about um, how he played and always took the game on. Um, yeah, so it was always entertaining to watch. And now still I like to watch videos of him explaining little technique things and mindsets um, that he has when he used to play. So, yeah, he'd have to be down at the nets and give me a few tips. I have a little confession. I may have watched one or two hours of AB de Villiers talking <laughs> about cricket on YouTube as well. It's well, it's a it's a it's a very valuable spend of time. Um, yes, it is. That, that's for sure. And I reckon, imagine him in person. That'd be that'd be even better. Um, yeah, I I really do like the sound of that net, Talia. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll see what we can do to make it happen. Like we we've got a little bit of sway at the library, but. <laughs> Maybe not quite that much sway. <laughs> we'll, see. We'll, we'll see how we go. But it's, it's been uh, wonderful spending the last little while with you, Talia. I really appreciate you sharing some insights into your journey so far and really looking forward to seeing you prosper in the future. No, thanks, Maddie. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. A massive thanks to Talia Wilson for her time on the Cricket Library podcast today and a massive thanks to you, our loyal listeners, for being a part of the Cricket Library family. We really do appreciate your loyal support as we bring you these stories and some great news since we chatted with Talia. We pre-recorded this a little while back since we recorded this interview Great news that Talia has, in fact, been selected in the Australia A-side to tour the United Kingdom. And we're really excited about the prospect of what will unfold over there. So please keep tracking her progress and please keep up to date with all that's happening at the Cricket Library by subscribing to the podcast, leaving a review and, of course, checking in at thecricketlibrary.com to see what is around the corner. And I can tell you that our next guest is a very exciting one. Janatal Simona, Bangladesh international and a young lady who is certainly on the rise. So a story which you will not want to miss. Please make sure you tune in for that one. And the best way to make sure you catch that as soon as it's released is to be subscribed. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having this time with you all and I very much look forward to your company again next time. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library Podcast. Bye for now.